So today, uh, uh, I have uh, six words to give to you. If you're taking notes, I'm so proud of you, number one. And then, uh, and then number two, I'm even more prouder if you read your notes later. But um, here's six words, the, the word, the warnings, the wolves, the wants, the work, and the weeping. And so we'll leave the screen up there for a second for you guys to write those down. Because uh, I think that they should be present in the church's life, in the, especially in the pastors. These are things that we need to be aware of. You know, um, here we see, continuing our, our study in this heart-to-heart conversation, where Paul the Apostle called the Ephesian elders, and he met with them in Miletus. And so it's a very significant section of Scripture. Uh, as a matter of fact, that what we're going to see today, I kind of slowed down a little bit, and we're going to dig in uh, on all these points. And we pick it up here. In the middle of their conversation, we left off last time in verse 25. And let's read it again. And, and there, notice it says, and, and indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. And so there had been a prophecy, obviously, by the person of the Holy Spirit, telling Paul, revealing to him that this would be the last time that they'd see each other on this side of time. And so it's a significant message because what would you say, you know, to the, to the pastors? You're, you're a pastor of a church. You've been there for three years. You obviously love the Lord. You love the people. And you love these guys. And so anytime, you know, anyone shares like final words or departing words, you know they're going to be significant. So what is it? You know, like I shared with you last week, Pastor John Corson kind of sees this as a pastor's conference. And so what is it that they talk about? What is it that's significant? And, and the first thing we see is the Word. The Word of God in its entirety. We saw that again in verse 26. Therefore, Paul said, I, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. The word innocent can be translated clean. I'm clean of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned. That word shunned, it can be translated avoided. I have not avoided to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And so, you know, you're sharing with pastors, you're sharing what's important in a church. Number one is the word of God, but not just bits and pieces here and there. The whole Bible, man, from Genesis to Revelation. The word in its entirety. We saw last time in verse 20 how Paul spoke about the fact that he kept nothing back but proclaimed it and taught it publicly and privately. And here in our text, we see it's almost as if Paul is in a heavenly courtroom testifying. He even uses those words right there in verse 26, I testify. And, and I think in one sense, he's kind of like looking forward to the day that he would stand before the judge. Every, every pastor those who have been called, those who have been given that opportunity to teach the word, you know, they're going to stand before Jesus one day and they're going to give an account of what they shared. That's why the Bible says in James chapter 3 and verse 1, um, let not many of you become teachers knowing you will receive a stricter judgment. You know, and so this is a heavy thing here. Paul's testifying. He kind of sees himself in that court. He knows one day he'll stand before Jesus and so here he is in front of the Ephesian elders and he says, listen, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Those guys who one day they're going to be slain for their sins, I'm, I'm clean because I've taught you the word of God. 
you know, publicly, privately, faithfully, I didn't skip anything. I gave you God's word in its entirety. You know, and that's where the mentality we have to be. And I think not just pastors, but all of us. We want to give the good news. We want to give the bad news, you know. I was thinking about Joseph who, you guys remember him in Genesis chapter 40, you read a story about how these prisoners had a dream and uh, he had to tell the, the good news and he had to tell the bad news. He had to tell, you know, Mr. Butler, you're going to be okay. In three days, you're going to be restored to your position. But then he had to tell Mr. Baker, I'm sorry, in three days, you're going to die. You're going to die. They're going to cut off your head in three days. See, that, that's what we have to tell the, the good news and, and the bad news, that we have to tell the truth. You know, some people, they don't like to give the full counsel of God. You know, they say, I don't want to offend anyone. But in the process, what they're doing is they're offending God. And if that's you, especially as a pastor or teacher, then, you know, your hands are filthy in God's sight. You know, one time they asked a famous preacher on television, you guys probably see him, Joel Osteen, why he didn't talk about sin when he taught. And he responded by saying, that's not my calling. Well, Mr. Osteen, that means you're not called by God, right? Because, well, you know, God's called us to give the full counsel of God. And so some will say, then why is he so successful? And why does, you know, some people get saved? And the answer is because, you know, any, God can speak through anyone. Then there's power in the name of Jesus. And so you share the word and in that sense, God will do a work. But if you don't give the full counsel of God, your hands are, are bloody, you know, you might have a huge church, millions of fans that follow you, and that makes you filthy rich, but your hands are filthy because you're not giving the full counsel of God. Paul wasn't rich. Paul did not have a mega church, but his hands were clean when Christ looked at them. And that's the thing that we have to have as pastors. You know, the, the message here of clean hands is real interesting. Over in the book of Ezekiel, I think we see it explained rather well. I was wondering if you guys could turn there to Ezekiel chapter 3 where the job description of a watchman is vividly described. And in Ezekiel chapter 3, notice what we read in verse 17. He says, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Yet if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity. But notice this, you have delivered your soul. I mean, this is a heavy truth. He's saying you warn the wicked, you know, that unless you turn from your wicked way, you know, you're, you'll die in your sins, then, you know, you've delivered your soul. You're good with God. But if you know he's in sin and you don't want to say anything, then he's still going to die in his sins, but you're, the, his blood's on your hands. And you can almost visualize a guy there, you know, he got murdered by his sin and they're coming the cops and they're looking at you and the blood's all over your hands. Why? Because you didn't warn him. 
You know, he goes on and it's interesting. He talks next about not warning the wicked, but warning the righteous. He says, and what about the righteous guy who turns from his righteousness? Well, you've got to warn him too. And if you don't warn him, his blood's on your hands. If you do, then you're clean. So what we're saying here is you've got to give the full counsel. You know, Paul says, my hands are clean because I've told you the truth. I've given you the full counsel of God. You know, later, if you guys get a chance, I encourage you, read Ezekiel chapter 33, because it's the same thing, it's the same responsibility of the pastor, teacher, preacher, watchman, to give the warning to the people, but there the context is different, because there he says, make sure you tell the people that the judge is coming, that Jesus, for us nowadays, you guys got to know, Jesus is coming. And if you don't get right, you're going to get left. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Are you ready for Christ? You know, those are things that we have to give. You know, we have to give the good news. We have to give uh, the the bad news, so to speak. We uh, are blessed when we're able to speak words of comfort, but we're also responsible to speak words of correction. You know, Paul here, back in Acts, he says, "'My hands are clean. I'm innocent of the blood of all men.'" For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And you know, and that's why you guys, you know, uh, when you come here to Calvary Chapel, you know, we try to teach you the whole Bible, man, from Genesis to Revelation, all 66 books, all 1,189 chapters, you know, line upon line, precept upon precept. Some passages are easier to teach and maybe even more enjoyable but none are more profitable per se. They're all profitable. That's what the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3 in verse 16 that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And so, man, it's something that we see here Paul modeled to them and for us we have to follow suit. And I pray you guys would know um, that this Bible right here is, is from Genesis to Revelation good for you to be, you know, hearing it taught, to teach it to your kids. You know, I've shared with you guys before that probably the the greatest thing I've ever done in my whole life uh, after receiving Christ and marrying my wife and having my kids is reading the whole Bible with them. You know, and it wasn't easy, you know, because sometimes they don't feel like it. Sometimes I don't feel like it. Sometimes you're tired and, you know, the devil does not want you to read your Bible with your family, but you know, we read the whole Bible together. You know, what I'm doing now, and because, you know, I'm already, you know, going to be 26, and I'm getting older. And so what I'm doing now is I'm writing a commentary on the whole Bible for my children. And I'm, I'm highlighting, I bought new Bibles, and I'm highlighting them. You know, green is prophecy, blue is ministry, purple is family, red is warning, yellow is impact. I got this whole thing, and I'm doing it for them, because one day, I'm going to be in the same place where Paul is. I'm, you're never going to see my face again until we're reconciled together in heaven. And the one thing I want to give to you is the whole Bible. That's the one thing, you know. I don't know if I'll be able to give you you know, a house or all those kind of things. Who knows? We're going to see how God works that all out. But I want to give you this, the whole Bible. You know, and that's why I encourage you guys. And we here at Calvary Chapel, we teach it from Genesis to Revelation. I was listening to Pastor Chuck Smith on this study. And the study that I was listening to, he had already taught the whole Bible seven times. 
Seven times I'm like, whoa, man, I got to speed it up, Lord. <laughs> you know, but I will say this, that we're doing our best to get through it, and I'm always encouraging you to read your Bibles. Read the whole Bible. Read it over and over and over again. You know, because I know that when you come on Sundays, I might be able to give you an apple, but I'd rather give you an apple tree. And if you have the conviction in your heart of how valuable this is, it'll change everything. That's what you need. And I like what Theodore Roosevelt said. He said, a thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college education. You know, and if you're a studier, I encourage you, do go to school. You know, do go to college and, and get a, a nice job and learn everything you can. Get a well-rounded education. But understand that even more important than that is a thorough knowledge of the Bible. And so Paul here says, listen, I gave you the entire counsel of God. I gave you everything God gave me to give to you. Number one, the word in its entirety. And then number two, the, the word as, its, as the authority. When it comes to the word, the second point there is in verse 32. Notice what he says. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And so the word in its entirety, the word as the authority, Paul would never be in Ephesus again, so it's as if he's commending them and trusting them to God through his word, by the authority of his word. You know, some people, they ask the Protestant church, they say, well, how does God guide you guys since you don't have you know, any apostles with a capital A and you don't have any popes, right? Nope, we don't have any popes. But the answer is King Jesus rules his church by the scepter of his word. This is how he rules us. We do have a structure of men who are servant leaders, pastors and others, but they're all under the authority of God's word. You know, as a matter of fact, for those of you who know a little bit about the Calvary Chapel movement, you know that God began this amazing work through Pastor Chuck. And he did his best to pass it on to, to the men, but it's been, it's been kind of a tough transition, right? But the one thing that I will say that has happened is he has given these guys, he, he told the pastors, so to speak, meet us in Miletus. And I, and I can almost hear him saying it now, I have to go. My, my time is done. My race is finished. And I know his heart, and I can almost hear him say it, this, and I commend you to God's word, because that was his heart. He would always say, simply teach the Bible simply, and he would pound it into us. Every pastor's conference, just keep teaching the Bible, and that's what he's given. And we have men, and we're trying our best to you know, move to the next phase, but one thing he has given to us without a shadow of a doubt is the same thing that Paul gave to them. I'm entrusting you to the word of God. And that's why it's so important to know your Bibles because, you know, if you ever hear something out there or even in here that contradicts God's word, you won't be deceived. You mustn't listen to those lies because now you know what to believe and who to obey, right? Acts 5.29, Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Whenever their voice contradicts God's, what you do is you obey God's. And so it's so cool in this verse right here 
Because notice what it's able to do. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. I mean, it's a, it's a gracious word. You know, we're never going to be worthy. You know, maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I don't even belong here. You know, I, I'm not worthy to be here. I'm all messed up. I, don't, I feel like God's going to strike this place down with lightning because I walked in or something. Sometimes people get that mentality. But it's not a performance-oriented relationship. Okay, it's God's grace. It's undeserved favor because you place your faith in Jesus Christ. And so when you read the word, you'll, you'll see that, that word of his grace that is able to do what? It's able to build you up. It's able to make you strong. You know, some of you guys right here, we're, we're working on trying to get buff and it's just not happening, man. It's probably not going to happen. Maybe in heaven, I'm going to be all ripped. But you know what? <laughs> <laughs> but I do know this, that we can get buff, we can be built up spiritually as we're in the word. So let me ask you a question. Are you? Are you in the word? Do you open up your Bible? Do you read it? Do you heed it? Do you love it? Do you learn it? Do you live it? Why not? I encourage you. It's so wonderful to get into the word because his grace will build you up and he talks about the inheritance that we'll receive as we learn to live God's word. These are things that are important to pastors and, and the church. And so as he's sharing his, his last words with the Ephesian elders, the first thing we see is the importance of, of the word. But then the second thing we see that takes place a lot of times in churches are our warnings, the warnings. And so we see there in verse 28, Paul gives a warning. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. You know, have you ever noticed the word war in the word warnings? Did you know that you're in a war? That's why we need the warnings. You know, first of all, if you're a leader here, it starts with you. Take heed to yourselves. You know, we need to watch out. We need to guard ourselves, as other translation says. Paul says, beware, first of all, individually, personally. You know, the Ephesian elders needed to be aware of their own potential to be deceived, of their own vulnerability. If you're a pastor here today, and I'm talking to myself as well, and you think that you're beyond the, the devil's work and deception in your life, then, then you're, you know, you're already setting yourself up for a fall. We always have to take that warning, first of all, to ourselves and then to the responsibility that we've been given to watch over the congregation. There's that warning individually. There's that warning congregationally. Take heed to yourselves, he says in verse 28, and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And I know a lot of times people will look at that and they say, see, don't, you know, Manny didn't put you there, though the Holy Spirit put you there. And it's true. But, but don't gloat in that. Fear what has happened because the Holy Spirit has put you there with a responsibility to oversee, not overbear, not overdo, oversee the flock, protect them, pray for them, watch out for 
the wolves, we're going to see that's the next word that comes in here. The Greek word translated overseers is episkopos. And epi means over and skopos means to see, you know, and we're to faithfully watch over the flock. Kind of like moms with their families. Have you guys ever noticed? Oh, I think it's true. Moms have eyes in the back of their heads. It's, they're watching. You know, I see that one right there. Something's going on. Something's stirring up. I'm feeling it. I'm discerning it. Lord, give me wisdom. I don't know about that individual over there. What have they got in that bag? I mean, you name it. You know, we don't let people put literature back there. We don't, you know, put whatever books or whatever we want. We don't, you know, we're real careful with these things because we have a responsibility to oversee this flock right here. And I, and I notice this is a, such a cool verse. I've actually taught a study on this one verse. There's so much here. Take heed to yourselves, to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God. The word shepherd is translated feed in the old King James because that's what you know, our primary responsibility is. Give me the word. Give the word of God. Feed them, lead them, love them, protect them, direct them by the word of God. And remember this, Mr. Pastor, it's not your church. It's Jesus' church. He purchased his church with his own blood. That's how precious you are to him. You know, I remember one time I went to JPL and Sean was there giving us a tour. And, you know, he's showing us different things and I don't know what the gadget was. He had me hold it in my hand. And so I'm in JPL. And if I remember correctly, and I don't know for sure, but man, I think he said the thing I was holding in my hand was worth uh, somewhere around a million dollars, man. And so once I found out the value of it, I was like, oh man, I don't want to hold this thing, you know? Such a heavy responsibility, the value of it. This guy, you know, he's dealing with things like that all the time. And then, that, then we've got to see the church that way. And that's what Paul is saying to these guys. It says, listen, guys, you know, take heed to yourselves, to all the flock, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd it. But remember that as you're shepherding it, that he purchased it. It is so precious to him that he bought it with his own blood. And so there's a, there's a warning here personally. There's a warning here that applies congregationally And there's a warning that takes place in the church repeatedly. Look at verse 31, if you would. He says, therefore, Paul says, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Imagine that. Think about that for a second. Paul warning them night and day for three years. And I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, man, that's a lot of warnings. But we need it, don't we? You know, my flesh doesn't like it when my wife does things like this, when she warns me repeatedly, reminds me of things repeatedly. She's all, don't forget to do that. Don't forget to do that. Don't forget to do that. Uh, and, and I say, why do you keep repeating the same thing? And she says, because you'll forget to do that. <laughs> and it is so true. You know, how many times do you have to tell a guy, watch your eyes? Don't look at her like that. Don't lust after women. How many, you got to tell a guy that, you know, 20, 25 times a day. Because God sees when you're looking at her like that. And Jesus said, when you look at a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. 
So, so we have to hear these warnings over and over and over again, personally, congregationally, repeatedly. Warnings of what, Manny? It brings us to this, the next word, and that is the word wolves. There, there are wolves. Look what he says and again in verse 29. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. You know, there are not just wolves that will come into the church, they're savage wolves. Jesus said in Matthew 17, right? Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. It's an interesting Greek word translated ravenous there. It speaks of someone... uh, with the practice of attaining something like money through intimidation or manipulation. And so these wolves often do that, don't they? They're in it for the money. You know, I remember one time a friend of mine had a a father-in-law who was a businessman. And this guy knew how to make money. And so my friend got saved. And so you know what his father-in-law told him? He said, you should start a church. I heard they make a lot of money. A lot of people like to do that. They'll look at this, they're wolves, and really the only reason they're in it is through intimidation and manipulation in order to get money. There's a lot of guys out there, they're really rich. Really, really filthy, rich. And it's wrong. You know, Chuck Smith, again, just a great example to us. There in Costa Mesa, you know, generous donations just pouring in. But he lived a simple life, drove a simple car. It was a great example for us. Jesus said, watch out for these ravenous wolves. And then right here, Paul says, watch out for these savage wolves. The word savage here in Acts 20, 29, in the Greek, it carries the idea of cruel and burdensome. And basically, when you put the two together, it's an accurate description of false prophets. You know, you guys are going to see when you look at church history that the legalists, the Judaizers would come in and they would give burdens upon the people and Paul knew it, that they were on their way to to make them pay out of their own pockets. What they did was they fleeced the flock. And so you guys know that just because that guy's on television and, you know, he says he's a Christian, it doesn't necessarily mean he is. You guys know that? Or they're at a Christian bookstore and there they've got a, a book, it has a cross on it or whatever, they're on the radio. Or they got the church down the street. Just because it has a, a Christian name on it, it doesn't mean that they're right on. You've got to watch out for these guys because there are many wolves in sheep's clothing. You know, we have some pictures here that I thought were kind of interesting of uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. And you'll notice the one on the top left is rather obvious. Look, he looks kind of mean. And the one on the bottom left, it's not as obvious because even though he's a wolf, he's smiling. Did you guys notice that right there? But look at the one over here on the right. You can barely tell, huh? That's more like it. When these guys come in, you know, at first they're they're really nice, but really when you get to know them with some spiritual discernment, you eventually you find out that they're not really uh, sheep. They're actually wolves. Paul says they're going to come in, you know, from the outside. And they're also... He says this, they're going to rise up from the inside. Some of you guys here, you might rise up one day and for whatever reason go astray. 
You know, these are men who are in it for the money, not called by God, but sent by the devil, really. They're people, sometimes they're attracted to power. And, and did you notice what it says right there in verse 30? Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. They're not building God's kingdom. They're building their own kingdom. And what they're trying to do is gather people to follow them. When in all reality, who should we follow? Jesus Christ. You know, I'm not in it to clone people into my image. You know, sometimes people will come up to me and they say, hey, Manny, should I date her or him? Or, you know, should I go this or there? Or what do you think about, you know, this, that, and the other? And a lot of times I tell them, listen, I don't know. You pray. You ask God to lead you. Your convictions and callings are different than mine. I'm very slow to tell people what to do. Why? Because I would rather them follow Jesus than follow me. I don't want you to be like me. I want you to be like Jesus. See, and these guys are all in it. Look at the calling of people that have followed me. They're drawing disciples to follow them. And what we want is for people to follow Christ. And that's why we need to know the word with all the warnings about all the wolves which leads us to our next word regarding the wolves, and that is the word wants. Because look at verse 33. Paul says, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. And you have to pray for me on this because I, I struggle sometimes. I look at a, I see a Camaro out there and I'd be like, Lord, can I have one of those? <laughs> No, you know, we're a work in progress, huh? You know, covetousness. It's a big problem in our country and in our church, you know? Covetousness. Uh, you might not see it on the outside, but there it is. Living, alive, and well on the inside of your heart. Covetousness. You can't see it, but it's a yearning inside of you to possess something that's not yours. And Paul says that that was not me. I was not like them. You know, when these guys come in and they start asking, sometimes even demanding, you know, for money to line their own pockets, Paul says, just know that that was not the model of the ministry that I ever gave to you. When I was there, you guys know I did not ask for silver or gold or, or clothes. You know, it's a good cross-reference over in 1 Timothy chapter 6. I was wondering if you could turn there. First Timothy chapter 6, remember, it's a, it's a pastoral epistle. Because, you know, you may be in a church and maybe you start off, you know, humble and, and, and small. And then let's just say one day God just booms. God, you know, blesses in that way. And next thing you know, there are thousands of people and there's millions of dollars rolling in. Can you handle it? Or would you want some of that for yourself? You know, Paul tells Timothy, that's not the way we roll. He tells Timothy here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, notice what we read beginning in verse 6. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. I mean, will you ever come to a place in your life where it's enough? Or will you always want more? Be careful. You know, because the rich man is not the one who has more. The rich man is is the one who says, enough, Lord, thank you for blessing me. Godliness with contentment is great gain. 
he says right there, for, for we bought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. Travel light. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. You know, you guys don't mind I wear the same shirt every four weeks, right? I was asking someone about that, and they said, I don't know, man. I'm like, why, why not? Why do we have to have a new dress or a new you know, shirt every time? Where did that come from? I don't read that in the Bible. Godliness with contempt is great gain. You got food and clothing. And that's all you need. But those who desire to be rich, notice, they're not even rich. They just want to be rich. They fall. They fall. It says right there, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and to many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. He says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Not Money's not evil, money's neutral, but the love of it is, is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith. Think about that. And in their greediness and pierce themselves through with, with many sorrows. You're going to be tested. You know, I'm not saying that you can't maybe, you know, get a promotion or whatever, you know, uh, make a little more money. Nothing wrong with that. Just be a good steward and remember it's not for yourself. I think God blesses people so that they can bless others. But if you're a pastor and you want to get into the ministry, uh, don't, don't think you're going to make a lot of money. Don't complain that you're not, you're not making a lot of money because that's not what it's about. You know, I've told you guys not to brag or anything, but, you know, seven years without a, a, a raise or whatever, you know, 15 years without health insurance. Uh, you know, there were times where I didn't get paid. I was, I was supposed to be payday. I didn't get paid. And it was a test from the Lord. Are you still going to be a pastor? And the Lord provided for us. And he'll do the same for you. You know, we have to be careful of the wants because if you're not right, then God's going to get rid of you. Because I was thinking about that story of Gehazi in Second Kings chapter 5. You guys remember his story? He was the right-hand man to the prophet Elisha. And so the Syrian soldier came and he had leprosy. And so he goes to Elisha and he says, hey, heal me. I, they, they say that you can heal me of leprosy. And Elisha says, yeah, just go wash in the river Jordan seven times and you'll be healed. And so he didn't want to do it at first, but he did. He went and he washed in the river seven times and he was healed of his leprosy. So he goes back to Elisha and he says, man, can I pay you for this? I want to give you a gift. I want to reward you for this. And Elisha says, no, I don't want anything. I don't want any of your money. And so the guy's like, okay, well, I'm going to take some dirt from here and I'm going to worship the Lord where I go. And so he splits. But then there's Gehazi, his right-hand man. He's like, what? What are you talking about, bro? We're eating beans and rice over here and you don't even want to get a little, you know, a little gold or silver. Or, you know, we need some new threads, man. We could do a better ministry that way. And so he leaves. Gehazi leaves. Elisha doesn't know it. He, hey, hey, hold on a second. Hold on a second. You know what? We got some young students that just came right now. Could you spare a little money, a little gold, a little silver, a little change of clothing? And so, you know, the Syrian soldier says, sure. And he gives him a couple and so Gehazi comes, he brings his stuff, he hides it over here on the side. He goes back to Elisha, and Elisha's all, where you been? And the guy's, I went to 7-Eleven real quick, you know, just get a Slurpee. And, <laughs> and Elisha said, I, my heart went with you. Is it time to get rich? 
Behold, the leprosy that left Naaman will now cling to you. It's a heavy story. But there's a lot of guys in the church who have leprosy. Be careful. Be careful of of the wants, you know? I mean, there's a difference between wants and needs. Again, I just can't help but think of what's been given to us. We're not here to make money. You know, we never beg for it. Where God guides, God provides. And I say this to you so that if you ever go out and start a ministry, you will not beg or intimidate or manipulate for money. You will be content with such things that have been given to you. And I say this to you as a church so that if you ever hear someone doing this, you'll know that it's not right. It's not on the contrary. We as pastors need to work hard. Go back to Acts 20 and notice what we read, what Paul says in in verse 34. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You know, a lot of times what happens in the ministry is guys, they get whatever, the position, the power, people start treating them special. Next thing you know, they expect people to treat them special. You know, what ends up happening is, you know, they, 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 sometimes they lose the work ethic. You know, Paul says, listen, I'm not here to, to get the silver or gold or clothing. I'm here to give. As a matter of fact, you guys know when I was here in Ephesus, I worked with my own hands. I was a tent maker. You guys did not even support me in the ministry. And not only did he work to support himself, he worked to support others. So does that mean that pastors can't get paid? No, it doesn't mean that. If you read 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 18, you'll find that it is okay for pastors to be paid. As a matter of fact, they get that double honor. And we read the same thing in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verses 3 through 12. You know, he writes to the Corinthians and he says, you know, you don't muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. It's okay. It's okay. They have that right, but they don't always have to exercise that right. And who knows? There may, may be a day coming where we get, you know, a building. We can't afford to, to pay, you know, the pastors. And so we got to get a job. That's okay. That's okay because we have a work ethic. And as pastors, you know, we, uh, we want to work hard, you guys. And I'll just share this, you know, regarding myself. You know, I can come in here in the office and I could diddle-daddle and maybe, you know, do a little surfing on the internet and then I could have some guys come in here and next thing you know, we're, you know, shooting the breeze for two hours, wasting God's time. No, I get so convicted, I cannot do that. I have to work hard. I have to pray hard, I have to study hard, I have to clean hard. Paul gave the example of hard work in order to support himself and support others. And I think for us as pastors, you know, we have to have the same heart. Not just pastors, right? All of us here. How many of you guys get lazy? (laughs) And God is just saying, come on, come on, that's enough television for today. But Lord, it's only been three hours. No, you know, we got to work hard, you guys. This is the church, you know. 
the, the word of God, the, the warnings, the wolves, be careful, the wants, the work, and then, and then the weeping. We saw in verse 31 that when Paul warned them, he wept. I mean, he says, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day, notice, with tears. That's the ministry. We're, we're weeping. And then when he's leaving in verse 36 and 37, I just think it's a beautiful picture. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. Why did they weep? Why did they hug? Why did they kiss? You're like, ooh, guys kiss, yeah. Because they knew this guy loved the Lord. This guy loved us. Not a perfect pastor. There's no such thing, but, but he's faithful. And then, and then just the concept, just the thought of not seeing him again, it just broke their hearts. You know, do you ever wish that you could rewind in life and maybe have one last encounter with somebody, you know, that, that the Lord has taken home? I think we all do. Many people come to mind who I ha- I'm not going to see again. until I go to heaven. But one of them is Pastor Chuck. Every time I would see him, he'd always have a big smile on his face, give a big hug. He'd always be willing to take a picture with me even though he didn't know me. And then I would tell him my name. Oh, yes, Elmani. And we would talk a little bit. But man, I miss him. Because he was... was this you know the sad part is and I don't know for sure all the details I don't know if these Ephesian elders listened you know we, we read it we're like oh cool you know and that's nice and this and that but man we have to make sure that we live it eventually what Paul had to do was he had to send Timothy there to Ephesus and he said you know what you need to be the pastor because these guys I don't know what happened in that. So, man, I encourage you guys as we go through these things. These are present in the church. Leaders, parents, all these things. You know, keep warning your kids. I was thinking about how I need to warn the congregation, you know, don't text and drive. I I think stuff like that, you know, because you have a large group of people here, and how many of you are text and drive? Just out of curiosity. You know, that's they call it intoxicated. You know, if you want to stay alive, don't text and drive. And so, you know, stuff like that. You know, warnings. This is a, a real thing that we're dealing with, and, and, and especially the spiritual war that we're in. Okay, so, man, laser focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, you guys, that you would be, amen, in tune with Him and you follow Him. And if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, maybe you're not. Yet, you know, one who has given your heart to Christ, I pray you would know 
that you're, you're the most important people right now. We love you because God loves you and he died for you on a cross. And the Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood like we talked about today. He purchased the church with his own blood to wash away all your sins. And all you have to do today is repent of your unbelief and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You need to make a decision to follow the Lord. Don't put it off until tomorrow because you might not have tomorrow. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm speaking truth to you. Today is the day of salvation. If you need Jesus, I pray that today you would make that decision. God is good, right? I mean, the Dodgers won. I mean, so many things. He is a good God.